If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to Philippians chapter 3. You're going to be reading verses 1 through 14. Paul writes, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we can gather here this morning, Lord, to study your word. I pray that, as Tyler said, Lord, that we're able to focus on you this morning, Lord. I pray that your anointing Jackie and the words that he speaks, Lord, that you would open our ears, Lord, to hear what you have to say, Lord. Open our hearts to understand what that is. And, Lord, just I pray that you'd be glorified in and through our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week, when we got together, one of the reasons I divided up this section of Scripture was so that we could focus last week on this idea. The idea that he laid out for us in the Scripture, he said in verse 3 of Philippians 3, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, And we put no confidence in the flesh. And the reason I I wanted to focus on that is because we have a tendency to get those things backwards. We have a tendency to put our confidence in our flesh. Right? If I get this all looking right, doing right, so everybody on the outside sees it, then what is supposed to be of the Spirit inside me must be there. But we put the cart on the wrong side of the horse. You see, the people, when we fall into that trap, when we fall into the trap of using our works to make our own righteousness, Jesus called people something who did that. He called them whitewashed tombs. 
full of dead men's bones. We don't want to be that. If my confidence is in my flesh, I'm a whitewashed tomb full of dead men's bones. What did he say before that? We are the circumcision who worship God, what? By the Spirit, right? We worship God by the Spirit. And our glory, our hope, our boasting is in who? Christ Jesus, not in me. Now that's not to say that God's just going to leave you how He found you. We all know better than that, don't we? But it does mean first I come to Christ, I come to Christ as a man, broken man in need of a Savior. And He's the one who saves me. It's His glory. No confidence in the flesh. It's, It's not a confidence in what I do, how I look, what I might paint myself up to be, but rather, it's all about Him. And the second half of the section, which we'll be looking at this morning, beginning in verse 8, that's what it's dealing with. First half, no confidence in the flesh. My hope is in Christ. Paul goes on to build the idea, right? You think you have something to be proud of? Look at my life. I was at the top. I was the best. Everybody who looked at me would have said, this guy has it all together. But I didn't have nothing together. Until I met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And then everything I thought I had together I lost. But it was worth it all for what I found. Because we get more in Christ Jesus than we ever lose. There's more in that relationship than will ever be lost. And so he begins in verse 8. He says, remember part of the idea is we've been working in Philippians. I got to change the way I think. I want you to look at the way he's calling us to change the way we think. Look at verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That word count, I count. It's a word reckon. I reckon, which means what? I'm thinking, I put my mind to this task. Everything else in life is less than the surpassing knowledge or value of Christ in my life. I'm changing the way I think. I reckon. The first thing we want to do, we're going to, there's three things we're going to see in this verse I just really want to pull out. We're going to reckon, we're going to rehearse, that means we're continually reckoning, and there's a reorientation of my life. And nothing better that illustrates a reorientation of life than the resurrection of Christ. The whole point of the resurrection is a reorientation. I was dead. I was lost in my trespasses and sin. I have been crucified with Christ. I died with Him. But then what? Paul says if I have died with Him, I have also been raised with Him. What? To be the same old person? No, I've been raised to what? New life. New life. I want to reckon. I want to count. I want to lead my mind, literally. I want to lead my mind to the value of Christ. Everything else is nothing. Everything else doesn't matter. The verb is a a verb of present tense, which is a call for continuous action, which means I'm constantly reckoning. I'm constantly counting everything lost. 
You, you ever lose your grip on everything being lost? Yeah, and all of a sudden everything became important again? No? You guys, it doesn't happen to you? When it happens to me, it brings me back to what Paul said. No, no, no. I'm continuously reckoning it lost. I'm continuously letting go of it. I'm reminding my, oh, I got my hands gripped around this stuff. Oh, I want to be able to let it go. Whether it's your accomplishments. That's what Paul talks about, right? <clears throat> All these accomplishments, I'm continually letting go of them. All of my possessions, I'm continually letting go. I'm just letting them go. I don't got to hold on to them. I want to hold on to one thing. I want to have focus on one thing. That's what David said. One thing have I desired of the Lord. And that will I seek. He wants to lay hold of him. But it's hard to lay hold of something if you're holding on to something else. Have you ever noticed that? You ever ever had full stuff and somebody hands you one more thing? And you're thinking, ah, I can't, I don't know if I can hold it all together. You need to let something go. A lot of times in our walk, a lot of times in our life with Christ, we're so busy holding on to all this other stuff, all these other things that we're trying to keep a grip on, that we're not holding on to the one thing that's most vital. We're not holding on to the thing we want to hold on most of all. So we reckon everything lost for the worth of Christ. And not only the worth of, but the worth of knowing Him. Have you ever thought about that? This is how our lives are reoriented. This is how our lives are reoriented when we follow Christ. Because once I start following Christ, what, what He wants for me is to know Him. And I, I'm always amazed because that is exactly what we want from other people. You want other people to know you. You want other people to care that you exist. You want other people to know you're there. You want people to reach out. You want people to touch you. You want someone else to know who you are. We are just ingrained in us for that desire. And the Bible would call it the image of God. We have this image, this fingerprint of God within us. And, and God has that. That is what God is looking for in a relationship with you and I. In Hosea chapter 6 verse 4. Listen to what he says. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? You ever say that to your kids? What shall I do with you? You might not say Ephraim. But you might say, what shall I do with you? Fill in the blank, right? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Same thing. What shall I do? What am I going to do with you guys? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Like it's fleeting, right? Here today, gone tomorrow. It's inconsistent. Therefore, here's what God says. I've hewn you by the prophets. So I send prophets to you, and the prophets declare to you <clears throat> my word. They're describing to you my character, who I as God am. And they're, they're carving you. They're trying to break off the rough edges, the things that go astray. You've been hewn by the prophets. I've slain them by the words of my mouth. You ever had God, just something in God's word, just penetrate down in your spirit, and you feel this crack happen inside of you, like, oh, that was, that was right for me. Lord, you just reached right in there, and you got it. I've, been, I've slain them with the words of my mouth. 
My judgment goes forth as light. What was the purpose of God's judgment? What is the purpose of God's discipline? To shine light in the darkness. The reason why God brings correction is because we're in the darkness. And where do we want to be? In a light. So He shines a light so we see. Oh, that's dark. I need to get away. I need to get away. My judgment comes forth as light. Why? For I desire steadfast love. God says, I desire your faithfulness. Is there something less when we, that we desire of another person? None of us ever go to get, get together with somebody and say, You know what, I'm, I just want to really get to know you and I'm really looking for an unfaithful friend. <laughs> Does anybody say that? Uh, what I'm really longing for is, in a person is unfaithfulness. No. What do we want? What's our core of our being crying out for? People who are faithful to us. What is it that God's saying? I desire your faithfulness. It's a character of God within us. I desire your faithfulness, not your sacrifice. Nobody likes it. You know, I told you guys all once, I can tell stories on Jason because he's not here. And his mom will get me later, but it'll be okay. But one time, Danielle came to Jason and said, you know, I really need some, some time. Can we, uh, can we go out on a date or something? And he said, you know, yes, we can. I'll die to myself. Is there anybody who wants to hear that? Oh, you'll die to yourself. So you can spend time with me. That's great. Right? So we, we, we can all understand why what we would want is, I don't want your sacrifice. I want you to want to be faithful to me. Right? I want you to want to be faithful to me. And look at the next part. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So God is saying, look, here's what it is. I want your faithfulness and I want you to know me. Those are things we can understand relationally, no? Isn't that the exact same thing we're looking for? So here is God saying, man, this is what I want from you. This is what I want from you. Jeremiah 9, we looked at last time. Jeremiah 9, 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his, his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. That he understands and knows me. The surpassing value, worth of knowing Christ. Scripture declares it is the greatest pursuit of our life. To know Christ. To know Him. It's not just an intellectual ascent. It's not just saying, I read about Him in a book. But to really know Him. How do you know anyone? How do you know your husband? How do you know your wife? Well, you spend time with one another, right? You talk to one another. In fact, you hang out with friends who also enjoy you. Isn't that exactly what church is supposed to be? Where we come and know about Christ and we hang out with other people who want to know about Christ. We're encouraged, edified, lifted up, built up with one another. In Jeremiah, he says, we want to boast that we understand and know Him, that I am the Lord who does what? Who practices faithfulness. Steadfast love. Justice, righteousness in the earth. For these are the things that I delight in. 
This is what God loves. Jesus in his prayer in John 17, he said this, And this is eternal life. What? That they know you. That they know you. To know him, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. In fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.2 that when he came to the, the church at Corinth, he said, I decided not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ crucified. This becomes the focus. What is it that Paul is reminding us here in Philippians 3.8? I count, I reckon, everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I do it continuously. And for His sake, for the pursuit of Christ, for the knowledge of Him, to reach out and touch Him, I have suffered the loss of all things. I have forsaken all. Let it go. Those things are not going to save me. I've let it go for what? That I might gain Christ. Think about your hands being full. If my hands are full, it's really hard to reach out for something else. i got to let something go. No? Paul says, look, the one thing that's most important in life is to let go of whatever's in your hand and reach out for Christ. That you might lay hold of Him. For He is the surpassing worth. The surpassing value. He is that thing that's going to bring what you maybe don't even know you need. The whole world is full of people chasing lots of dreams. I used to love Chris Cornell's voice. I don't know if you guys know who he is, but some of you do. You go, oh my gosh, I can't believe he talked about him in church. He had a really incredible voice. And he, he rose to the top of his field, you know, and... He was famous rock star, beautiful voice. And he'd go out night after night and give out, you know, the best performance he could. And he, after every performance, he always struggled with this incredible emptiness. So empty that one night after a concert, he hung himself. And he did that because the pursuit of his life had no value. What filled his hands brought no satisfaction. Just empty. And that, that's just one story of a thousand, right? Certainly that's not the only one that we can think of of pursuit of anything else. Paul says, I count all this as rubbish, as garbage. The word rubbish means that which you throw to the dogs. So he's saying, I'm taking all this stuff that I've been holding on to for all my life, and I'm going to throw it to the dogs so I can reach out, strain, reach out for Christ. Because I want Him. And that's a part of what worship is all about. I always think about when we worship and folks lift their hands. To me, it's always a picture of a child lifting their hands to their dad. Hey, dad, pick me up. Pick me up. We get older and we don't think we want that anymore. But the reality is, man, there are times we just want to reach out to God and say, Lord, pick me up. Hold me. And I don't want nothing here in the way. 
And by nothing, I literally mean nothing. Like we all have a thing. I have a thing. You have a thing. I told you my thing is a little rebellious nature that I carry around with me all the time that has to be mortified. You have a thing too. Maybe your thing's the other edge of the spectrum, but it's your thing. And all of those things, no matter what the thing is, we lay that thing down for the surpassing value of Christ. He is worth more than anything I have. And I have said it before. I'll say it again. He can have anything I got. If he says, I want your health, he can have it. I want your stuff, it's yours. I don't want anything to hold me back from being able to look to the Lord and saying, whatever you ask for, you can have it. Because I want both hands filled with you. To know you. To know you. To seek you. To reach out for you. Because look what he says in verse 9. And be found. Where? In Christ. Don't you know that's what salvation is? You are not saved unless you are in Christ Jesus. So I'm reaching out, straining, reaching out for Him because I want to be where? In Christ Jesus. I want to be in Him. Scripture says I want to abide in Him and He'll abide in me. So I'm reaching out. I'm letting go of all that other stuff, of all those accomplishments. Uh, all those accomplishments, all those possessions, I'm letting them down to grab a hold of Him. That's the pursuit. That's the ultimate end of life. To lay hold of Christ. To put my hands around Him. To be found in Him. Listen to what that means. Not having a righteousness of my own. Do you hear that? Not having a righteousness of my own. I didn't get to be in Christ Jesus because I developed a righteousness of my own. I got in Christ Jesus because I put on Christ. I am clothed in Him. I'm covered by His blood. I'm clothed in His righteousness. I just want Him. I want to be in Him, found in Him. Not because I'm so right and I've done everything right in my life and I follow my own personal list of accomplishments or possessions. No, I want to be found in Christ because I'm straining and reaching out and letting go of all of my stuff so I can lay hold of Him. Forsake it all. That makes it easy. I don't have to go, Lord, what do you want me to forsake? Oh, here, everything. Oh, good. That, does that mean this? Yep, that, that's what that means. Last I checked, all is still all. Right? Forsaking it all, letting it go. He said, I count everything. Everything, all. These are all the kind of words that we want to have. To be found in Him, not with my own righteousness that comes from the law, But where does it come from? Now, it doesn't say I'm not righteous. It doesn't say, well, I just go on sinning. What did he say in Romans chapter 6? Well, then, Lord, if if sin abounds and grace superabounds, shall I continue in sin that grace would abound? And Paul says, certainly not. How can you who have died to sin live any longer in it? Sin's one of the things you're supposed to let go of. That's why you call it repentance. 
repentance. Let it go. Well, I really like this sin. I'm sure you do. It's rubbish. Throw it to the dogs. Well, I really like this or that. It's rubbish. Throw it to the dogs. Let it go. It's not my righteousness. It's not me yearning to change myself from the outside in. But it's me longing for Christ so that He will change me from the inside out. It says, I don't have my own righteousness, but that which comes through faith in Christ. And that righteousness which comes from where? It says right in the text, the righteousness from God... That depends on faith. It comes from God, but it depends on faith. It depends on Him. What's the source? What is the source that is bringing our assurance? Is our assurance in Christ? Look, if your assurance is in you and your performance, you're going to have these ups and downs where you're not okay and you're okay and you're flighty and you're going all over the place because everything depends on you. But if everything depends on Christ, Paul said, I know in whom I have believed that I'm persuaded he is able to keep me. Can Christ keep you? He is able to keep me. Assurance doesn't come from the list, the law. Assurance comes from faith in Christ. Look what it says in Romans 10. In Romans 10 verse 3. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, that's righteousness, they do not submit to the righteousness of, to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. How is it that Christ can be the end of the law? What does that mean? And I don't ever obey anything. I just say I believe in Christ? <clears throat> no, you gotta put on Christ. You understand? Well, let me say, let me put it this way. Paul would say in one part of the scripture, what do you do by saying you're a Christian and then joining yourself to a prostitute? Don't you know that the Holy Spirit is with you? If you join yourself to a prostitute, that doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Because that's not what Christ does. Are you clothed in Christ? clothed in Christ I'm clothed in his righteousness I'm walking in his obedience and it's not something that I churn up on myself it's something by faith he gives me through the spirit he empowers us to change inside out if you're trying to change outside in you're going to be frustrated oh I had such a good week last week such a bad one this week Well, Christ is not inconsistent. Who is? (laughs) Me. So I have to continually be reckoning. I have to continually remind myself to be clothed in Christ. But the pursuit is Him. The pursuit is Christ. Righteousness comes when you apprehend Him. Righteousness comes through the journey of apprehending what Christ has for us. We'll see that. As we go on in Scripture, look, Galatians 2, 20 and 21. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live how? By faith in the Son of God, 
Who did what? He loved me and he gave himself for me. Jesus Christ died for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness was through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If I could be righteous without Christ, he didn't need to die. I just needed to apply more willpower. But he did die. Because righteousness comes through him. So what's my pursuit? I'm not saying don't pursue righteousness, but rather than focusing on, I gotta pursue righteousness, I gotta pursue right thinking, I gotta pursue right acting, I gotta pursue all these things, I gotta let, let go of what's in my hands, just reach out for Christ. If you grab a hold of Christ with both hands, all the things you're trying to fix is going to happen. Because He's working in you and through you to accomplish that. Lay hold of Him. He has the surpassing value. He is what we want to reach out to. The source of our righteousness is Christ. He's the source. But the object of our faith is not faith. You guys get what I mean? Sometimes people have faith in faith. Well, if I have faith, I got faith in faith, then I'm good. No. The object of your faith. Who is your faith in? Is your faith in yourself? Is your faith in faith? That doesn't do anything. My faith needs to be in Christ. Focused in Him. Paul would write in Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17. He would say that I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because <clears throat> it's the power of God. The power of God to do what? For salvation. I didn't save myself. He did. He did. He provided. He made the way. He made the way so that the power of God could wash everyone who does what? Believes. Which means has faith. Puts their faith in Christ Jesus. He's going to build on it. He says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. How? From faith to faith. Because it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Their faith in Christ. Their faith in Christ's finished work. Their faith in who Jesus is. They're letting go of everything else and apprehending Him. Because everything else is not of equal value to laying hold of what Christ has for us. Paul also wrote in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved. You guys know this, right? Through faith. I've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. Not something I worked up. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works. For what purpose? So no one boasts. We don't do it to ourselves. It's Jesus. It's laying hold of him because he's laid hold on us. So again, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but rather knowing that my righteousness comes through faith in Christ. A righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know him. There we are again. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his suffering, or as ESV says, that I may share in his suffering, becoming like him. 
even to death. Becoming like Him. What's he talking about? He's saying, look, not only is your assurance in Christ, but then your life ambition. That reorientation takes place and now your focus is Him. It's surrounded, encircled by Him. That I am in Christ Jesus and so what does that mean? That I know Him. I want to know Him. I want to lay hold of Him. I want to talk to Him. I want to understand Him. I want everything I can possibly get about Him. Because in Him is the power of the resurrection. What's the power of the resurrection? Man, that is how my life changes. Ephesians tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but He has made us alive, right? He, Christ, made me alive. He gave me life. He elevated me in life. That's the power of the resurrection. Man, I want to know Him so that I can change, so that my life isn't just one giant chunk of emptiness leading to another giant chunk of emptiness. I've been to the top of lots of mountains in life, but I haven't found the meaning of life on top of the mountain. I may have on the journey. I didn't find it in the accumulation of things. I didn't find it in accomplishments. I got letters from all kinds of different colonels and officers in the Marine Corps. When they used to write my mom when I was first in the Marine Corps and tell her what a great person I was. This is the greatest Marine of all time. Oh, he's incredible. All these letters I got. And one day my wife went to a counselor when we were in the Marine Corps and said, this is what my husband's doing. And the guy said, man... He's the biggest dirtbag I ever heard of. You need to leave him. He'll never change. I'm not who I was once. Because the power of the resurrection. Because you lay hold of Christ. Because He has laid hold of you. Do you know that He wants you? That kind of makes the pursuit a lot easier. You ever try to chase somebody who don't want caught? Man, that's no fun. No, man, when we go after Christ, He wants you. He wants the pursuit. He wants you to lay hold. He wants you to have that for Him. So He says, I want to lay hold of it. Why? That I might know Him and the power of His resurrection. Because the power of His resurrection, listen, is the power to live victorious now. You want victory now that's in the power of the resurrection. Where does it come? By knowing Christ. By dropping what's in your hands and reaching out for Him. I spent a lot of time filling up my hands with lots of things that did not satisfy. Lots of things that frustrated. Lots of things that ruined lives. Lots of things that caused lots of different kinds of problems. But the reality is, the reality and through it all, the power to live victorious is the power of His resurrection. Look at Romans 6, verse 4. It says, We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death. We've been identified with Christ. The whole act of baptism is an illustration of what? I'm dead to my old life, and I am alive to the new. We, therefore... We're buried with Him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might, what? Walk in the newness of life. 
The old is passed away. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, then we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider, reckon, yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. That's done by the power of the resurrection. That I might know him and the power of the resurrection by which I reckon myself dead to sin and alive to God. Which comes back to the reaching out to Him, right? Reaching out that I might lay hold of Him. He says that I might share in His sufferings. Well, maybe we should skip that part. I don't know if I want to share in His sufferings. What, what is that all about? The fellowship of His suffering. That's what we just read. Being conformed to His death. Things need to be nailed to the cross. Things in my hands got to be let go of. The fellowship of the suffering is willing to lay all things down for the pursuit of Christ. Just like He laid all things down for the pursuit of you. Right? Philippians chapter 2. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself as God incarnate. He made himself of no reputation. He came in the likeness of men. In the likeness of a slave. And he was obedient even to the point of death. This is our example. This is what God in Christ has done in His pursuit of you. Scripture says that He endured the cross, despising the shame. But He endured the cross for the joy set before Him. What was that? Well, look in the mirror. You're the joy set before Him that He might know you. What's he want from you? That you might know him. So when it says, I want to share in his suffering, what is it that you're not willing to let down? What will you not let go of? What is so blasted important that you can't entrust it to a holy God who is willing to die for you? To understand that every end that is not Christ is a subordinate end. It may have value, but it's not the value of our life. Let it go. Story's been told about how they catch them cute little monkeys. You guys heard the story before? It's kind of easy to catch a cute little monkey. You just put a bunch of marbles in a jar. Yeah, the monkey will reach his hand into the jar, grab a handful of marbles, and he can't pull his hand out. And the jar is attached to a rope tied to the 
bottom of a tree, and then eventually the, the hunter looking for a monkey comes back, and there's a dumb monkey holding on to a bunch of marbles he won't let go of, and the marbles aren't worth a dumb thing. He's going to hold on to those marbles till the guy comes, whacks him on the head, eats him, puts him in a cage, sells him as a pet. I don't know. All for what? I won't let go of these marbles. By golly, these marbles are the prettiest thing I've ever seen in my life. And that's the same lie sin tells to us over and over again. I'm going to hold on to this dumb stuff. And in the end, when Solomon had all this wealth accumulated, he looked at his son and he said, in the end, whose is all this stuff going to be? He said, I don't know. My son might be a fool. And then whose will it be? And I spent all my life accumulating stuff, holding on the marbles. Let go of the marbles. Empty your hands. Hold them open. And reach out for the Lord. If He wants to fill your hands, let Him fill it. If He wants something out of your hands, let Him have it. Go reaching out. Reaching out, why? That we might (coughs) fellowship in His suffering. Join together in the suffering of Christ. Where He gladly laid aside things you and I can't even imagine. I promise you there's nothing we will lay aside that is even remotely the same. I can't even even explain it to you in theological terms. People have been arguing for a thousand years or what the great kenosis means. Right? He emptied himself. What's that mean? What did that look like? What did it cost? Way more than he's asking for me. I'm just holding on to marbles. Let let them things go. Join in the fellowship of His suffering. Walking in a dependence upon the Lord, ultimately dependent on Him, that we might share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means I may attain the resurrection of the dead. I want to lay hold. I want to put my hands in His hands. There's an event coming in your life and mine. There's a time when we'll get to stand before our Savior. You'll have it. Scripture talks about it. We'll have the moment. We'll stand there in His presence. And we have an opportunity in that place to hear, well done, Faithful servant. Faithful. Well done. One life we live. And we can live it making all of our subordinate ends our ultimate end. And we can live it for the almighty dollar. Or we can live it for a reputation. Or we can live it for a look. Or we can live it for whatever. Anything you want to put in the in the spot. Or we can lay all that stuff down and pursue Christ. Well done, good and faithful servant. On that day, I promise you, you'd let go of anything to hear the words. Don't wait till then. 
Do it now. Let it go. Let it go. This is what Paul is challenging us to. This is what Paul is calling us to. Paul wants us to lay hold of all that Christ has for us. He wants us to understand that our growth, our hunger, our desire for Him is all rooted in Him in the first place. If you know Him, you want more. If you know Him, you want to have all that you can have with Him and for Him. It says in verse 12, Not that I have already attained, or am already made perfect. The Apostle Paul says, I don't have it all done yet. The point is not the destination. The point is the journey. Paul says, not that I have already obtained or am already made perfect, but I, what's the word? Press. I press. Interesting word, I press. Earlier when when Paul was giving us his accolades, his accomplishments, you guys remember he's talking about he's a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He said, by zeal I persecuted the church. Remember? That word persecute and that word press. That's the same word. I press on. The word used. What word can mean both of those things? Well, the, the word means to pound out. To pound out. You could use it for trying to stomp out something or trying to work out something. <laughs> He's saying, listen, I press on to make it my own. Not that I've accomplished it, not that I'm already perfected, not that I'm, I would say that I've apprehended all there is to apprehend of Christ. Because he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Now I see through a glass darkly, dimly, but one day I'm going to see him how? Face to face. So I am until the day I see him face to face, I'm reaching out. I'm pressing on. Agonatsumai, I will contend, agonize, stretch, reach. What's he describing? The ultimate goal, the purpose, the purpose for which we are here. Paul says, not that I have already obtained or am already made perfect. This one thing I do. I got to press on. Every single day. Oh my gosh, that's so hard. Press on every day. Oh my word. I can't imagine looking at my wife and saying, Gosh, baby, I just want to take two days off. I don't want to love you. I don't want to, I don't want to contend. I don't want to press on in our love and our relationship. What I want is, I just need a break. Really? That's the dumbest thing anybody has ever said. Look, if you're in a marriage relationship, the point of that marriage relationship is to show the faithfulness of God. Marriage is a picture of God. It's part of the concept of the image of God. What is it he's looking for? He's looking for me to press on, to love my wife every day. 
When he's calling me to press on to Christ, he's telling me to press on every day, every moment. No break, no vacation. You want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Press on. Press on, reach out, let go. Reckon all this stuff that keeps pulling our our attention, right? Every time I see something shiny, my eyes go, oh, shiny, something shiny. And I'm staring at something shiny until I realize, oh, yeah, reckon that loss. Reach out for Christ. Distractions happen, right? But the point is not that I have already laid hold and I've apprehended all that there is to apprehend in Christ. The point is, I make it my pursuit. Every day, every moment that I might know Him, that I might hold Him, that I might gain Him. I coach football for too long. Long time. For a long time, football was like, at least as far as my kids were concerned, there was, football was just above God. And I went after that for a long time. But there's something similar in that coaching and what I tried to get across to the kids that I think is similar to what Paul's trying to say here. I would tell them when they came in as freshmen, I always had a meeting with all the kids and the parents, and I would tell them so they wouldn't be shocked that we're going to have practice from May until December. And yes, that includes Thanksgiving Day. We had practice on Thanksgiving Day for 13 years. Never missed. Because we were playing. We're in the playoffs, and we, you, I would tell the kids, you have four years. In those four years, you can win state. Four times, and that's it. Some of you will work those whole four years just for the chance to win it once. We went to the game a lot. We had a reputation. You had to beat us in order to get to the game, but sometimes we end up losing the last one. For the group of kids who worked from their freshman year to their senior year, we get to the final game, the big push. It rained, it snowed, fog blew in. The field was eight inches deep. You, there's no movie that could ever picture what the game was like. Lost starting run, uh, tailback in the first play. Lost backup tailback on the second play. Third string tailbacks in the game. And we win. Because they function as a team with one purpose and one goal. And at the end of the night, I could say to the boys, was that worth it? And they didn't remember all the stuff they let go of. All they remembered was the prize. You guys get the comparison? We're not going to remember the stuff we let go of. We're not going to say, oh, I had to let go of this. I had to let go of that. No, man, when you see Jesus, that's the prize, man. When you see that, you're not going to think about any of that stuff. You're not going to think about how hard life was or the difficult things we had to go through. None of those things are going to be remembered. You're going to see Him. He's going to reach out His hand. He's going to take your hands in His. He's going to look in your eyes. And He's going to say, well done. It's worth it. Whatever the price. Whatever we pay, whatever we give, whatever we surrender, it's worth it. Why do I press on to Jesus? 
Why do I love him? What does the scripture say? Because he first loved me. I'm not making the move to Christ. Christ made the move to me. Christ crossed the chasm that I can't even begin to express in his divinity with the Father, never being separated, never being apart. Somehow he, he leaves that and becomes a baby that he might know me. God moved first. God made the way. The purpose of salvation, the plan of salvation, it's, it's laid out. All he's asking us for now is for our faith, putting our hope in him. Look, I make it my own because he made me his. Christ Jesus reached out to me. I am responding. So listen, verse 13. So brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. That's Apostle Paul. I don't, I don't have it all down. But one thing I do, I can't look backwards at all my failure. I can't look backwards at all my struggle. And I'm going to have a struggle every day. Because I'm going to get distracted by something shiny. Or I'm going to get distracted by some thought or some something is going to distract me. I may <clears throat> become distracted for a time. But I can't sit back and look back at all my failures. I can't do anything about them. I can't undo the choices I've done. I can't undo the walk I've made to this point. But he said, I'm not going to look backwards. I'm not going to look back. Forgetting those things which lie behind. I don't live in the past. I learn, but I don't live. Forgetting those things which lie behind. Listen to the word. Straining forward. To what lies ahead. Do you get it? And the pursuit of Christ is not just uh, some lackadaisical thing. The pursuit of Christ is not just some, you know, well, you know, uh, I prayed today or read my Bible. The pursuit is a pursuit. He uses words of Straining? What does that mean? Straining forward? That means I'm letting go of this other stuff and I'm reaching out beyond how far I could reach. Oh, I just really want to get this. Look, the thing you're straining for, just don't let it be a marble. Strain out for something that has value. We can, we can reach out for a lot of things. Man, I've... I pursued a lot of things. Maybe you've pursued a lot of things in your life too. And I still remember, you know, Kathy and I have been married 33 years, but I still remember pursuing her. And when I think about stuff like this, I think about that. You know, I, I'm just trying to be practical, right? And what does that practically look like? Man, I wanted to talk to Kathy every day. Talked on the phone until I was stupid. One ear hurt, I'd switch the phone to the other ear. Then that ear starts to hurt, switch the phone back. Back in those days, by the way, you were held together by a cord that went to a thing on a wall. So you're not just walking around, taking out a phone, texting her, talking her, doing all that. Nope. I was parked in one place. That's how my mom could find me. She'd follow the end of the cord. Eventually, it would end up with my head. 
And usually a broom would follow right behind. Get off the phone! Man, I, I wrote letters. We still have the box of letters. I wrote her every single day I was in boot camp. Every single day I wrote her letter. Plans, you know, all this, all, you know, whatever. Why? Because I was reaching out. I was straining. I, was, I, I wanted to really pursue her. I wanted her to know I love her and I want to make a life with her for the rest of my life. Now, that life I made with my wife wasn't perfect. Some would say it was pretty screwed up. But we didn't quit or look behind. We just put our eyes on the prize and kept moving forward. And that is how we pursue Christ. We stop looking back at our failures or where we fall short or what we messed up. And we stretch out and we put our eyes on the prize. This is what he says. Straining forward, I press on. I pound it out. I'm moving forward toward the goal. What's the goal? It's not he who has the most toys wins. He who has the most toys doesn't win anything but a heavy insurance bill. He says, I'm pressing on toward the goal for the prize. The upward call of God. That's the prize. The upward call of God. Listen, when Jesus saved you, He didn't save you to leave you like you are. And we can't, we don't all know each other's stories, right? We just, I've only been here 10 years. If you could go back 25 years and say, wow, this is a miracle, comes to church all the time. But 10 years, maybe, maybe it doesn't look like as much. But God is always working in us, both to will and to do. For His good pleasure. He's accomplishing the goal. I just have one thing to do. I've got to set my mind on Christ. I've got to set my mind on the goal. I've got to do it every day, moment by moment. Straining. Takes effort. Takes purpose. No one achieves a goal that doesn't take purpose or effort. Man, look, my assurance is in Him. My faith is in Him. My victory is in Him. So I want Him. I want to stop looking backwards and start looking forward and press on. This is what Paul wants us to get to. This is the point of it all. The point of it all that we are of the circumcision who worship the Father in spirit. And put no confidence in the flesh. Reach out for Him. Let go of the marbles. It's the journey. It's the reaching. It's the desiring. Setting your mind on. As you do that, you know what God does? He changes you. He changes your desires. Changes all that stuff from the inside out. We think God's not doing anything. I'm doing all the straining. Trust me. Whatever straining I'm doing doesn't even not even worth being compared with what God does with just a simple touch, with a simple breath. God is able to do abundantly above all we can ask, can ask or imagine according. 
So the power that works in us, God is able to transform. So we aren't who we start as. And currently, I'm not what I'm going to end as. Because God's not done yet. But I don't have to worry about what God's doing. What do I have to do? Reach out for Him. Reach out for Him. Gain Him. Know Him. Hold on to Him. You'll discover after a life, He was holding on to you the whole time. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. As we close out in prayer and as we close out with worship, I just want to remind you there will be folks up front. If you have you need prayer for anything, please come up. There's prayer folks up here uh, to help you with that, anoint you with oil if, uh, if that's needed, whatever the case. They're here for you. So if you need prayer, please come on up and, uh, and receive that. Let's go before the Lord. Father God, we lift this time to you, Lord, and we thank you for the work of Christ. Lord, we thank you for what you've accomplished, for what you've done and god as as paul lays out this this letter lord he's calling me to let the mind of christ dwell in me to reckon all these other things in my life my possessions my accomplishments reckon them as cast off to the dogs and to strain forward and pound out and reach out for christ that there's a pursuit god i want you i want you more than I want anything else. Lord, I want to I wanna pursue you. I know that you give good things. So God, I'll leave my hands open. If you put it in my hands, great. But I'm not holding on to any of it. I just want to hold on to you. I want to reach for you. You know, you're, you're just, just a little bit outside my grasp. But when I think about it, God, I, I think back to when when I was teaching my kids to swim. They'd be in the water and they'd be striving and they'd be straining and they're reaching out for me. But I got them. Maybe they don't always know it. But I got them. They're not going under because their victory is in me. God, your victory, our victory is in you. And as we maybe are are straining and stressing as we learn this walk of faith and learn this pursuit of you, and we feel like we're working and we're straining and we're reaching, but all the while, God, (coughs) we are in your hands. It's about changing my mind, setting my desire away from accomplishments and possessions and putting my desire on knowing you. Man, I want to know you. I want to know the power of the resurrection that changes my life. The fellowship of the suffering and the things I'm willing to throw away so that I can lay hold of you. so that we might attain. I'm not already perfect, but I'm going to stop looking backwards at my failure and I'm going to start keeping my eyes on the prize. I'm going to look at Jesus and I'm going to keep putting one foot in front of the other. 
Because now I just see in part, but one day I'm going to see your face. And on that one day, when I look into your eyes, I don't want to see disappointment. I want to hear, well done. You are faithful. God, make us faithful people that will pursue you, to know you, to be changed by you, to become something more because you are in our life. Make us holy because you are holy. Make us righteous because you are righteous. Make us like you. Make us, Lord God, to have an answer for him who asks a reason for the hope that is within us. And the answer that we have is that we have set the Lord as our goal. God, we pray that you would move in this place, God, that your spirit would ignite our hearts to follow, and Lord, that you be glorified in and through it all. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.